So we, we are currently in a series right now, walking through the letter of Colossians. So I've said this before, we have covered now a lot of ground over the last decade or so around Paul's letters, especially Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and now Colossians. Uh, a, a letter that Paul wrote from jail to this community, kind of this backwoods community in the city of Colossae. With that said, we're going to continue on. Last week in our communities, we were kind of wrestling through uh, Colossians chapter 2, if you were uh, doing that as a community. But now I'm going to kind of circle back and bring some context to what's happening here and what this means for us. Sound good? Then you can go for brunch, so it's all good. You with me? Okay, Colossians 2 says this. So remember, in context, in context, Colossians is a letter that is written to the community in Colossae, and the primary theme of it is about maturing in Jesus. There is so much going on. Remember, I know our cultural milieu, milieu, there's lots going on in our moments, but in the first century, there were points literally where if you wanted to get your groceries in the Agora, you would have to bow your knee and declare Caesar as Lord. A uh, little side tangent, this isn't in the notes, but so much apocalyptic fever right now in the evangelical moments the last few years, obviously. And the book of Revelation is a big thing that people talk about. Fascinating that this mark of the beast was actually the mark of Caesar that you would have to take often to, to buy and sell and trade in that moment. It was their current reality when we talk about, you're like, we came on Mother's Day and we're talking about the mark of the beast. Just to let you know, in the moment, what the churches were facing was at t times and points, depending who was on in leadership, tremendous opposition and tremendous uh, a drawing in to kind of the worship of Caesar and at times the pantheon. And so when we talk about culture and life for this community, there's lots going on. And ultimately what Paul is writing them for is to talk to them about maturing, to progressing in Jesus what it means to be a mature people, a mature community. And ultimately, Paul saw his ministry as seeking the maturity of those he led. And the way he did this was by putting the spotlight on Jesus, the Messiah. You know this in chapter one, this poem, this hymn that they would read, all about the supremacy and authority of Jesus. This, to Paul, was the way in which was so punk rock and kind of drop the mic in the face of Caesar in that moment. It was this countercultural way. And whether we're there or not, there is a sense that, listen, we don't have to bow our knee to get our groceries, but there is a sense through much of what we've seen and now kind of post-evangelicalism, if you're with me, or post-Christendom, there's a sense of the punk rockness that we lean into, right? There's a, different, there's a different vibe for us as a community as we think about maturing because, again, though we may not have the persecution and oppression that they did in the first century, there's almost like an apathy that comes in our moment that we have to push against. Um, maybe not as much in Canada, but it is very easy in our moment to say or kind of think we're Christians without actually being disciples. And so we have our own kind of ebb and flow, our own tension that we live in, though we may not experience exactly what the first century church did. Now, the point is this, is 
There is lots of focus and emphasis that needs to go in on what it means to be mature in Jesus and what actually a mature community is. So let's read what Paul, and see what Paul says. Verse 6, Colossians 2, if you're with me, he, he says this. So then, just as you receive Jesus as Lord, continue, listen to the language, continue to live your lives in him. Just as you received it, continue on. Live your lives in him, rooted and built in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. There's a sense, again, Paul's language throughout his letters, you are saved and you are being saved. That one of the things we're called to is we have the Spirit and then we kind of walk in step with the Spirit. That there's a vibe here that this way of Jesus is not static. This life in the kingdom is not static. It is something that we are leaning and living into. Verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. And again, Paul's context here around the powers and principalities, that Jesus came to take care of sin and death, but ultimately the Satan and his minions, the powers and principalities, are being put to death, right? In between this age and the age to come. Verse 9, for in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. I love that. Basically, Paul is saying Jesus was a human, and in Christ you have been brought to fullness he is the head over every power and authority. In him, you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. Still with me? Deep breath, verse 13. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away. He's nailed it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, I love that language, the disarm, disarming of the powers and principalities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Love that. That what Jesus did in going to the cross obviously was death and, and, and sacrifice for those who would follow him, but there's a sense, there's a cosmic sense to this that the powers and authorities, the powers and principalities are taking, to taking care of, that Jesus on the cross is moving and working and doing his work to redeem all things. Come on, somebody. This is good work that Paul is passing on and good language he's passing on to the church. And it's pretty simple. One of the things we see early on is that to understand what it means to live in the kingdom is a sense of continuing on. Pretty simple. That Paul, in his instruction, knows that this community has received Jesus, the king, and now his hope is that maturity, actually the snapshot of what maturity looks like, is they actually continue on in him. That an understanding of the kingdom of heaven is that we are rooted, and Paul's language is, we are built on Jesus and nothing less. 
And so here we live in a moment that is fast. Are you with me? Have you been on this thing called TikTok? I really haven't, but fascinating that we went from long-form discussions and over the last decade how everything has been squashed into 10 seconds, five-second messaging to us as humans in our culture. And yet, one of the things that we have to kind of live counterculturally in in our moment is that maturity in the way of Jesus is about a, an obedience in the same direction. And brothers and sisters, I'm here to tell you, and I think Paul would sit here and tell you too, that just ain't that sexy, right? In our moment that's trying to get us, get our attention with every last swipe and image and sound, there's actually something different and better and more beautiful in the kingdom. It's an obedience, as the huge, huge Eugene Peterson said, an obedience in the same direction. It starts and it continues on. And this has a lot to say. So I know we've been in moments the last little while around deconstruction, which is wonderful. We have lent into deconstruction, and there's, I think, a part of every single one of our stories where deconstruction is part of it, and that's actually a really beautiful thing. I also think we're on the other side very much in the last few years where we can, in a sense, deconstruct deconstruction. There's a lot of fab, you know, um, I just think of a lot of like the play and Christian books and all of that's good. I've engaged, engaged many of those things. But, you know, in our moments, there's been a lot of focus on deconstruction. There's also been a lot of focus on the nuns and duns. And no, I'm not talking Whoopi Goldberg. I'm talking the, the, the rise of the nuns. Sounds like Jedi Knight style. But the nuns are people in our own culture that would have no re religious affiliation, which you've heard me spew the stats over the last five or six years, has grown tremendously, this group, the nuns and the duns, those who have grown up in kind of a, a Christian kind of context but now have walked away, right? This growing community as well. Lots of emphasis on that. Wonderful. But all of, all of this, even the idea of the age of self-gratification that we live in when it comes to social media and just the age of information. I, if you don't know this, you now you can write papers and I could probably even sermons if you wanted just by saying, hey, whatever, write me a sermon on Colossians 2. I have not done that yet, but you know, this is the world we live in. With, amongst all of that, again, the Jesus community needs to take Paul's word seriously and we need to slow down. We need to take a deep breath. We need to understand that the ancient story from 2,000 years ago of Jesus not just dealing with sin but dealing with the powers and principalities and authorities and putting them to shame is the story that we continually lean into. That it's about being rooted, this is what maturity is, and about building our lives on Jesus amongst all the sway and the waves and the ideas and the comings and goings, right? How things will change. Just deconstruction, you know, around 2020 when everybody got shut down and in their homes and was watching YouTube all day, there will be something I'm sure that will come in the next decade or whatever. Things will come. We are these people that slow down and root ourselves in the king and the kingdom that's here and the kingdom that will come. You out there? It's a different type of way. And it pushes against, and we've talked lots about this, it pushes against church. And what we've seen in the last half century 
and through the seeker sensitive movement, and I'm not against all that, but just now living in the wake of this where churches, if you're just following at any type of level, the churches that were really cool are now all imploding. Did you know this? This is kind of a thing. Left and right. And it doesn't matter if you're Reformed or Pentecostal or Prosperity, wherever you are. It's your Anabaptist. It's, it's happening all around us. And it's, I think, a helpful reminder again, and you know, Heather and I kind of chuckle because as church planters, we wanted something in our minds, and I am thankful to the Lord Jesus Christ it didn't happen. Really thankful that in our minds, what we thought we wanted of church didn't happen because it probably would have destroyed us. And yet here we are, leaning into Jesus and Paul's words again to slow down and build ourselves on him, Right? Many of you know the Screw Tape Letters is like probably top one book of all time. We did a series on this back in COVID. Uh, if you don't know, Screw Tape, the Screw Tape Letters is C.S. Lewis' magical, beautiful book in which he writes basically from a senior demon to a junior demon to his understudy, this junior demon named Wormwood. And their goal is they're kind of conniving, and the senior demon is telling the junior demon how they are going to tempt the human, which is the patient. And if you haven't read this book, man, just the imagination that Lewis had, even 100 years ago or whatever, just amazing. And it's a really contextual way for us not just to talk about spiritual, uh, the powers and principalities and spiritual warfare, however you want to kind of frame it. It's a beautiful way in which it shows the way the Satan and the tempter works, right? So just like in the garden, it's not, interestingly, it's not bombs and bullets and violence and bazookas. What is it? Ideas. It's lies. I mean, it's just crafty if you think about it. It's pr- a pretty sick plan if you're thinking about how to deceive humans in their mind and their emotions to like not just come with violence, but to slowly deceive them and make them think that they can be like God. Let me read a couple quotes. This is just, I I think, really helps shape for us. Again, if we want to be rooted and mature, the antithesis of this is this. This is what Screwtape says to Wormwood. He says, I gather the middle-aged married couple who are just the sort of people we want him to know. Rich, smart, superficially intellectual and brightfully skeptical about everything in the world. This is, what, this is what senior demon wants junior demon to know. You know, we want to go after these middle-aged kind of married couple who are superficially intellectual and brightly skeptical. He goes on, sorry. We, what we want, if men become Christians at all, is we want to keep them in the state of mind I call Christianity and, right? A slow kind of drift to Jesus and everything else. Brilliant, brothers and sisters, that is a brilliant strategy. Even further, goes on. Screwtape says this, surely you know that if a man can't be cured of church going, the next best thing is to send him all over the neighborhood looking for the church that suits him until he becomes a taster or connoisseur of churches. Think about our moment. And there's reasons for leaving churches, I get it, but think about our, this, this is what the deceiver wants to do. 
I think one of the, the plans in our moment actually is, I think actually the enemy, um, I think Wormwood is very good with us kind of like having Jesus or Christianity and a bunch of things. And I think even better is the strategy to be just like totally discontent with the church community. And this is what we've seen in our moment. This is the way it works. I think the enemy would love us to kind of like have our mind set on other things and not be rooted in what is reality. And yet when the church has always worked best, it has always been a community of people that are deeply rooted in Jesus and each other, building their lives on Jesus. Mark Sayers puts it like this. He's a pastor, cultural critic. He says, we get the idea that making the choice to wake up early and read our Bibles or to commit ourselves to regular giving away of our money to a charity or to fast may not always be pleasurable, but in the discipline of these things that we be." But in the discipline of these things, we become more Christ-like. Yet, we expect church always to be pleasurable, enriching, and exciting. Maybe the limitations of church, the discipline of regular attendance, the commitment it requires, also teach us to be Christ-like. Maybe we need to reimagine church in our minds as a spiritual discipline, which teaches us the value of delayed gratification, of personally investing in change, of becoming more like Jesus. Guys, as I read this and I honestly flip on Twitter and just see every single day things imploding, things that we thought were cool and big and the, the, the leading things in our cultural moment when it comes to Christianity, maybe this is what we need. The spiritual discipline of rootedness, of giving ourselves to Jesus and towards each other. The great Ronald Rollheiser, a Catholic priest, says this. He says, what church community takes away from us is our false freedom to soar unencumbered like the birds, believing that we are mature, loving, committed, and not blocking out things that we should be seeing. Real church going soon enough shatters this illusion and gives us no escape and we find ourselves constantly humbled as our immaturities and lack of sensitivity to the pain of others are reflected off eyes that are honest and unblinking. Paul's call here for the community, again, just as you've received Jesus, here's what you do. You keep receiving him. Right? So it's the same image he gives of the Spirit. We receive the Spirit, and then we keep on receiving the Spirit as we walk in the way of Jesus. And so the call is to receive and to build our lives on him. And I think this has a lot to say to the church and how we practice and what we do. I think as I, I kind of do an evaluation of my own life and the way of Jesus and what this means for us, it's actually a call to be rooted to give our lives this unfashionable thing of doing things that don't automatically bring gratification. There's a community, uh, Our Lady of the Mississippi Abbey, it's a monastery in Iowa, and they have this thing called the vow of stability that I learned about several years ago in seminary as we were looking at communities and what the next kind of wave of the church would be like. This is what they say to each other, they vow. They say, we vow to remain all our life with our local community. 
We live together, pray together, work together, relax together. We give up the temptation to move from place to place in search of an ideal situation. Ultimately, there is no escape from oneself, and the idea that brings would be better someplace else is usually an illusion. And when interpersonal conflicts arise, we have a great incentive to work things out and restore peace. This means learning the practices of love, acknowledging one's own offensive behavior, giving up one's preferences, and forgiving each other. Beautiful picture of what rootedness means. It means a a life dedicated to Jesus, but it also means this life drawn in towards each other. Now, some of you are like, wasn't there like, hey, I left a church, or here I am, or maybe I'm thinking about leaving, hey, whatever. I know there's reasons to leave church communities. I get that. I I understand that. But I think sometimes what we want to do is we want to disconnect maturity and what Paul is talking about in Jesus from the type of rootedness that we find in each other. There's a sense, and even as Heather and I, we talk about this a little bit, um, amongst all the phone calls maybe to do other things or things that maybe look flashy and beautiful, there is something that puts on a type of maturity, puts on display a type of maturity that says we're going to give our lives to something and not be swayed. And I honestly think this is what our world needs, and I think this is what, and yes, there's reasons to, to switch communities, absolutely. That's for another time, but... I just think of what Paul is saying here. Be rooted like a deep, I think of the oak trees in our backyard, these maple trees, where for years they're planting roots to grow and now they bud these caterpillars that poo all over the place. Anybody with me? Anybody living this life? Takes years and years and years. Keep receiving Christ. When we gather together, when we come in a couple minutes to take the bread and the cup, we are continually just receiving Christ over and over. We've received him, but we are receiving him, and one day we will fully receive him. Be rooted. Now, when, and we're going to come to the tables here, when Paul talks about building our life on Jesus, where does your mind go? For me, this is no surprise, I'm sure, that for for me, it goes to the parable he tells at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, which is basically what our church is built on and, and very much started on in the transition of becoming praxis. At the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus tells a parable about two people. And the language that Paul uses, or Jesus, sorry, uses about these two people is that each of them, person one, person two, each of them have heard these words of mine. In essence, what Jesus is saying is if you look at the Sermon on the Mount, a string of teachings in Matthew 5, 6, and 7 that cover a whole wide range of different stuff, Jesus is saying both of the people in this parable have heard exactly what I've preached and taught you, all the things in order. But there's two different outcomes. It's fascinating. So both people, person one, person two, person A, person B, they both hear the same things, but we get an image in the parable that one builds their life on the rock, builds their house on the rock, and the rains and the winds come, and they're good, but the other person hears exactly the same thing, and they build their house on the sand, and the winds and the rains come, and the house is blown apart in the storm. Fascinating. Two people hear the same thing. So the question is, 
what is the indicator of the outcome, right? If both people hear the same thing and you get two completely different outcomes, what's the indicator of the outcome? And you know this. Our, our church is built on this. The word is poieo. Jesus actually uses this Greek word poieo seven times in something like 29 verses in Matthew chapter 7. And over and over he's using this word because he wants you to know you can hear all the Jesus stuff. You can come week in and week out, but the way in which you build your life in the kingdom and on the king is poieo, and that word means to practice, to do, to bear, to actually the way in which we believe is not just like a mental ascent, but we actually embody it and we live it out. And that is the difference. It's practice or praxis, Oh, whoa, whoa, wait a second. Praxis, to actually embody an idea and do it. And so, yes, we're hearers, but even as we catch up in Paul's words years later, we're not sure how many exact years later, he is using Jesus' language. You've received Jesus, and so you keep receiving him, so you continue to live lives in him, live your life in him, and root yourself and build upon him. And the way that we build upon him, what maturity is, is actually doing what he said. Oh, come on, I need something good on Mother's Day. This is, this is it, this is it. That Paul would actually say that you're strengthened in your allegiance to Jesus as you were taught, you receive, you do it. And what this should lead us to then is a life overflowing with thankfulness. It's poieo. And so, brothers and sisters, on Mother's Day, amongst all the fun and excitement of this day for many of us, the call for us is to just keep receiving. Like for some of us, the pillar of maturity in your life could be this moment right here in a simple reminder that you just keep receiving Christ. Don't look to the next thing. Don't let, yeah, th- there's gonna be so many, I was just thinking, if you look from March 20th, or March whatever it was, 15, 15th, 2020 to now, there's so much that has changed. Things around us are gonna keep changing, and we'll embrace some of that, but what we do as the church community is we keep receiving the king. Every song, we keep receiving the king. Every lyric, we keep receiving the king. Every melody, we keep receiving the king. Every sound, every kid's lesson, we keep receiving the king. Every time we have a conversation, we keep receiving the king. Every time we come to the the Psalms together and just read it, even when it's like been a really crappy week and you don't want to say it, we keep receiving the king. When we listen to the guy with the Britney Spears mic, once in a while, we keep receiving the king. When we get up from our seats and we move to the bread and the cup, what a, exact, right? This is exactly it. Why do the walk down the center aisle to the bread and cup every week? Why? Because we keep receiving the king. Let's just take Paul's words seriously. And all the energy put into what maturity is The hope for us is we have the king and we just keep receiving him. And brothers and sisters, that's what we're going to do today. Amongst all the words, everything that's happened this morning, as we walk down this aisle, just remember, as it hits your taste buds, and the hope is to move away from some of the prepackaged stuff here now as we get farther away from COVID, but as it hits your taste buds this morning, this is not about uh, putting on something. This is about an environment where we keep receiving the king, the king who, in Paul's language, 
took care of the powers and principalities and gave his life for us. And we keep receiving the king and we, we take this and we eat and we remember. So that's my, my prayer for you. And I think if Paul was sitting here or standing here in his sandals and whatever he would wear, he would say to us, just keep receiving Jesus. Amongst the, the sway, amongst the pull to so many different things, keep receiving the king.